What's up, Lamb Fam? Welcome back to the Life After Miscarriage podcast, where we unapologetically chat the ins and outs of what life is actually like after miscarriage. I'm your host, Shelly Metling, and with four angel babies myself and one rainbow baby here on earth, I have created a platform for you guys to share your stories. So sit back, relax, get ready to relate, laugh, and cry as we get real on what life is actually like after miscarriage in the 21st century. Hello, everyone. We have Tara Fallum on the call today. I'm so excited to hear her story along with you guys. So with that being said, I'm just going to throw it at her and start wherever you would like, Tara. All right. Thank you so much for having me on. Um, So my name is, like she said, Tara Fallum. Um, My husband and I were married in uh, July of 2009. And um, I was 20 when we got married and he was 24. So we were both really young and we knew we would wait a while to have kids. Um, And then in August of 2013, um, my husband and I both started doctorate programs and then moved to Colorado and then tried to start, started trying to have a baby too. Cause like, why not do all of those things all at the same time, you know? Um, And so uh, we were very fortunate. We got pregnant the first month. Um, which of course I was really naive. I had no, you know, thoughts about miscarriage or anything like that. I was just super excited. Um, and you know, they did the HCG and progesterone checks. Um, at that time they were doing progesterone checks with HCG. I don't, at least down here, we don't do that anymore. Um, it's kind of not indicated or whatever, but my progesterone level started to drop. And so they started on me on progesterone suppositories. Um, and so then, at eight weeks, um, I started bleeding. I had already had an ultrasound at that point. Um, and so everything looked fine on our first ultrasound. So I started bleeding. We went to the ER and, um, they actually told us that the, the, my husband was in the room with me and we, we saw the ultrasound and, um, he saw the heartbeat and stuff. So we thought everything was okay. When we went back to the, the, room in the ER, the doctor came in and he actually came in and told us that, um, it looked like it was an ectopic pregnancy. And so, um, of course we were like totally devastated, um, cause we knew that the baby had a heartbeat and, um, it kind of put us in a, in a weird situation. And so, but as he explained it more, he was like, the baby is actually in the uterus, but we think that it's attached at the fallopian tube. And that's may- that may be why you're bleeding. And I was like, well, that's super weird. And how do you know that? And um, and so they ended up consulting with my OB and they, they came back and they were like, well, before we do anything about this, you should probably go get evaluated by a perinatologist. And I was like, yeah, that's probably a good idea because we're not doing anything about this until I know more, you know? And so, um, on that following Monday, so that happened over the weekend on Monday, we went and saw the perinatologist and, um, we, uh, had an ultrasound, the ultrasound tech, like it was the best ultrasound I've ever had, but, um, she, um, immediately was like, this is not an ectopic pregnancy. And of course, like the tears started flowing and we were so excited um, and she's, she said to me, she's like, you have a double uterus. And I was like, <laughs> my facial expression was probably like, oh, what? 
Um, but she said, um, yeah, you have a double uterus. And I was like, well, what does that mean? And um, so she kind of explained it to me a little bit, um, but she, the baby was in the, my left horn. And so when um, I have, like, when they do transvaginal ultrasounds, just because of the way my uterus is tilted and everything, the left horn is the one that you see when you go in. And so because no one knew that I had this going on, um, they wouldn't, they wouldn't have known to look for another side. And so, but she, because she was doing such an extensive ultrasound and stuff, she did. And, um, she ended up finding the right side, which did not have a baby in it, but the left side did. And so, because she now knew that, you know, things, the way she was looking at things was different than you would look at a normal, like single uterus, I guess is, um, she knew that it was not attached. She didn't, couldn't tell me why I was bleeding, but she knew it was not an ectopic pregnancy. And so um, we were, of course, very excited. And the doctor um, came in and talked to us and he kind of, so the name for like what these um, anomalies are called is malarian anomalies. And so it's basically just something that forms when, um, you're you like when you're developing in your mother's womb um, and you, it doesn't, there's either a fusion problem or um, I forgot what the, what the other form is, but so essentially as the kidneys and the reproductive organs are forming, you mind did not fully resorb. And so, um, and so they thought what I probably had was a bicornuate uterus means it's heart shaped from the top. And um, then they also thought I probably had a fairly long septum, but he, he basically explained that you can't know what the outside of the outside of it looks like until after you're not pregnant or like when they go in and do the C-section, they may be able to tell then, but now is not the best time for us to know that. But we know that you have two sides and we need to figure out, you know, kind of um, like all of the rest of it after after you're not pregnant anymore. And so we were happy with that. Um, he did kind of review some of um, the risks. Um, so with a bicornuate uterus, you are you have higher risk of preterm labor. Um, he intrauterine growth restriction because the baby's only growing on half of your um, uterus, obviously. And then also um, like a breach or transverse presentation is fairly common just because they don't have room to flip. And so he said it, it would be very likely that I would have to have a C-section um, if the baby did not flip. And um, we kind of went on from there. So I went back to my OB. I continued to bleed through my first trimester. We never figured out where the bleeding was coming from. And it was pretty heavy. And so it was scary, you know. Yeah. Um, um, and then uh, so because of the bicornuate uterus, they also did biweekly vaginal ultrasounds until like somewhere between 20 and 24 weeks because they're checking cervical length because you have a higher risk of that, um, uh, having cervical length short shortening. And so then the preterm labor and stuff like that. And so I had no issues with that, but they did check me for that. Um, then at 34 weeks, I ended up actually deciding to consult with, um, another provider about an hour and a half away down in, um, outside of Denver, Colorado, because we were living up there at the time. And, um, basically because I didn't like the options that they were giving me from the second, like, so basically from eight weeks, they were just 
treating me like I was having a C-section regardless. And I didn't, I didn't feel like um, they really cared. And so um, I ended up actually, so my daughter was still breech at that point at 34 weeks, which is not that uncommon, but they were basically treating it like there was no chance she was slipping. They weren't, they weren't talking about a uh, uh, natural delivery, any of that. So um, I consulted with a doctor, um, Dr. Michael Hall down in Denver, who is um, known for breech deliveries. And so I wanted to just like hear him out and, and hear what he had to say. And when I went to see him, he was actually fairly knowledgeable about um, malarian anomalies also. And so he was like, by that point, like they could, he couldn't see very well. He's like, I'm not sure that this is actually a septum. I'm not sure what's going on. He thought it looked like maybe there was adhesions in, in there um, growing with the baby. And so he's like, I don't know what this is, but you know, we definitely need to address it later. And so um, I I said, okay. And then he, he had very strict guidelines for doing a breach delivery. My daughter at the time was Frank breach. And so he was okay with that. And, um, you know, my husband and I talked about it and we felt like we would probably just go ahead and switch to him as a provider, just because even if I was going to have a C-section, at least I felt like he cared. <laughs> and so, um, we, at 34 weeks, I switched over to him and I continued to do my appointments with him. And then at, when my daughter was 30 uh, or when, when I was 38 weeks pregnant with her, she went from Frank beat Frank breach back to transverse. And so she was like, kind of just hanging in there. Like it was a hammock. She was totally chill, like had no problems, <laughs> you know? Um, but because we were an hour and a half away and my, my um, nephew had just been diagnosed with leukemia and I was just kind of like at the end of my rope with everything, I decided to schedule a C-section the next week. So at 39 weeks, one day, um, on April 21st, 2014, my daughter was born and she was beautiful and healthy and she had a full head of blonde hair and it was excellent. Um, and so, but during my C-section, um, Dr. Hall did identify so that there was a uterine septum and he went actually um, ahead and resected it. So when they, um, when they go in and like, they don't cut it out, they cut up the middle of it and then it like resorbs into the tissue, like the top of the uterus. And so um, when people talk about it, like having their septum cut and stuff, it's actually like they just cut in the middle of it and then it's supposed to go away. Um, and so, cause it's like a fibrous, um, tissue. And so they, um, he went ahead and did that. It was a little, and he told me this, he's like, there may be some left just because I had to be really careful not to cut into the endometrium. You know, you don't want to cut cause you can cut through. And he also, this is probably a little weird, but <laughs> he had me, um, he, because he was doing the C-section, I told him, I was like, I want a picture of whatever you find. And so he took a picture of the outside of the uterus and he's like, that is the prettiest heart I've ever seen. And, and it was, it was like totally heart shaped. And it's a really cool picture. My husband says, he's like, that should be the cover of a rock album. Will you send <laughs> like, that to me? I, I will. Okay. It's so, um, it's a really cool picture though. He actually had, um, Dr. Hall had me email it to him too. He's like, that is an awesome picture. So, um, it was, it was good. I was really thankful that we went with him and, um, he did the best that he could to, um, like get as much of it as he could. Uh, the, of the septum as he could. Um, but he did say, he's like the external contour did look bicornuate. And so, you know, later on you may have with 
future pregnancies, you may have a baby that just decides that it wants to be up in that, you know, you may always have breech babies because they may always just kind of have an affinity to have their head up in like one of those nooks. And so I said, okay, you know, and that's, that's good. We had a healthy baby and I was happy. Um, so we moved back to Mississippi in 2014 when, when my, um, daughter, was four months old and we just kind of continued on with life. Um, then in 2016, we began talking about, you know, having more children and growing our family and stuff. Um, so knowing my history, I was, I was really nervous about that. Um, I went ahead and went and saw two separate OBs down here and I kind of reviewed my history with them prior to trying to conceive and stuff. Um, one was, like just totally scared me. He was like, if he cut your septum while during your um, C-section, you could have adhesions. You may never be able to get pregnant again. Like it was terrible. I left that appointment so upset. Um, I went to a different OB um, and I talked with her and um, you know, she was, she was kind of hesitant about the fact that they had, because it's a very like having a septum resection during a C-section is very controversial. Like, um, it's not something that's commonly done. Um, and I'll kind of talk about it a little bit more later, but, uh, so I, I think it was an unknown. So they were like, I don't know what we're going to find. We need to do a hysteroscopy and see how things are because I had had nothing checked since the time of my C-section. Um, and so she did an in-office hysteroscopy, which I don't, have you ever had a hysteroscopy done? No. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. There, I don't think so. What is it? <laughs> okay. So, so they basically dilate your cervix and go in with a, um, a camera, like a long tubular camera and they visualize the inside of your. Yes, they have. Wound. Okay. Yeah. Have it was our, our, um, the in office one that I did with her was very unpleasant. So they, she had to manually dilate my cervix it was not a pleasant experience at all. Um, but so she, she checked and she's like, I definitely still see a septum. Um, sorry. No, I didn't have that. Sorry. Something else. I'm like, I never got my cervix dilated. So no. Yeah. So most people I think have HSGs and I never had one of those done. And so, um, I looked at the shape of my uterus. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So, and I'm going to talk about that a little bit more later too, just specifically related to malarian anomalies. But, um, so she opted to do a hysteroscopy because she wanted to see for herself the inside, um, and see if she could see a septum and she was going to check, like they can check to the fallopian tubes and stuff during that time too. So she couldn't check the patency, but she could just check if there was scar tissue or anything like that covering it. Um, so she did that. It was not pleasant. And they, they basically have this like tiny little screen that they're looking at. And, um, when you do it in the office, and I think this is the most missed, um, typical type of hysteroscopy that's done. So, um, it's called an endoc. Um, and so she did it. She saw that there was a septum. Um, she ended up consulting with a reproductive endocrinologist and, um, kind of explaining to him what she had seen, asking his opinion, because she's not super familiar with bicornuate uteruses. She's seen septums, but not necessarily bicornuate uteruses. So, um, and then she also did the 3D ultrasound uh, at that time too, so that she could look at the external contour of um, the uterus and see if she could see a heart shape. And she did. And she was, she was like, this is very heart shaped, like, 
there's, um, it looks concave, you know, on the top. And so she felt like, and in her discussion with the RE, she's like, I just feel like you had a successful pregnancy, you carried it to term, we need to just leave it alone for now. Um, and I don't want to risk cutting through the endometrium and all of that. And you would have, because you have to have laparoscopy and hysteroscopy in order to resect this septum if you have a bicornuate because you can't cut through the top. And so she was like, I don't want to, I don't want you to go through that if you don't have to. And I feel like, like it's in the best shape that it can be. So we went ahead and started trying to conceive um, in June of 2016. Um, we had six months of negative tests and um, I just knew something wasn't right. Um, I went back to my OB and I just told her, you know, of course she was like, it's only been six months. I don't know why you're like upset. And she <laughs> a little bit was like, oh, you got pregnant the first try last time. So that's why you're, I was like, I, and I just knew, I just knew something wasn't right. And so, um, she kind of, to appease me, I think, allowed me to do three months of Clomid, um, three rounds of Clomid. There wasn't, I had kind of, uh, irregular periods. There wasn't honestly probably a reason for me to do Clomid, but I think she was just doing it because she, it was something she could do for me. Um, so I did three rounds of Clomid, which was terrible very painful. There was no doubt I ovulated because like, it was so painful. Um, and, but I didn't get pregnant. Um, and so then I was definitely at a loss. I didn't understand what was going on. You know, of course my mind always went back to, did something happen during my C-section? Like, is there something going on with the fact my uterus, all that stuff. So, um, at 12 months, what, by the time we had been trying for 12 months, I asked her, um, her to be referred to an RE. I didn't go to the one that she normally uses. I actually had, um, a different one that I asked to go to and she was okay with that. Um, I think she was a little hesitant, but she did send me to him. So I met with him and I didn't know this when I got set up with him, but he's actually super knowledgeable with malarian anomalies too. And um, funny enough, like the next month, he was going to talk at um, one of the big like ACOG conferences about um, malarian anomalies and doing septum resections during a C-section if you identify one. And so it was like meant to be, he was like, no, that's absolutely the right thing to do. Um, he's like, I'm going to talk on that next month. And, and so I felt really reassured that like I was in the right place. Um, and so he, he knew I had had a hysteroscopy done before, but he, he's like, I need to visualize it myself. I know that you've had the hysteroscopy, but there, we don't have any images of what she saw and what she's describing doesn't necessarily make sense to me. It sounds like it may be adhesions. And so, um, he, he actually has a specific type of hysteroscopy that he has invented. It's called the periscope. And so it's, a uh, super thin. It's, I, I think it may be the smallest hysteroscopy um, camera on the market, but if not, it's super small. So, so small that like sometimes they don't actually have to dilate your cervix. For me, they did not have to. So it was way less painful. Um, and then when he went in, he was also, they did a, a, a 3D ultrasound also at that time. Um, and he checked the external contour. He also thought it was, he, you know, he did measurements, which my other, my OB hadn't done. He did measurements to measure how deep of the, um, concave, uh, uh, contour there was on the ex 
outside. And then he also did like checking um, um, follicles and stuff to count, egg count and all of that. Um, and so he did that. And then he did the uh, periscope. Um, and when he went in and did that, he, they actually have a way of checking your, it's basically a replacement for HCGs. It's supposed to be way less painful and stuff, um, which I, I can't attest to because I haven't had the HSG, but um, he checked the patency of the fallopian tubes by, they insert air bubbles. So like they fill the uterus with saline and then they yeah. do air bubbles to open. Yeah. And so he um, did have. that. That's what I Oh, is it? Yeah. So I was like, I swear he stuck this little, like, camera-looking thing. Yeah. Um, yes, yeah. And then they, yeah. like, filled my uterus with bubbles or my fallopian. Yes. And then we watched yes, the yes. bubbles come through. Yep. Yes. That is yep. Yeah, so um, that was a much better experience than the like regular hysteroscopy that I had. Um, and so everything, everything pretty much looked good on that. Um, he said he also saw a septum, but he felt like based on his measurements, he's like, I don't think there's anything that I can do to resect it anymore. You know, it's as normal as it's going to get. And so he um, gave us the green light to go ahead and try to conceive, um, which was like, good or or he gave us the option to move forward with IUI because it had already been 12 months and stuff and I was just I don't know why looking back but like I was just super hesitant about IUI I was like I don't know um and we didn't we just we didn't pursue IUI um around 18 months so in November 2017 we actually ended up getting pregnant um on our own and we were so excited you know this is my second pregnancy still hadn't had any losses at that point um, and we totally expected the best outcome again. I, I was like, it's our time, you know, we've waited this long and my daughter was so excited. And, um, so, uh, one day before my eight week appointment, um, I started bleeding. It was a Wednesday and, um, I went into the OB's office that day. Everything looked fine. Um, the baby had a heartbeat. Um, uh, you know, they couldn't, again, couldn't tell where the blood was coming from, um, but she did start me on progesterone at that time. She's like, just in case, we should probably just go ahead and start this. Um, and so I, I think I kind of left that appointment thinking, oh, well, it's just going to, for whatever reason, I bleed at eight weeks. I did it with my daughter. I'm going to do it with this pregnancy, but everything's going to be fine. Um, and, but I definitely didn't leave there thinking that I would miscarry in a couple days. Um, so that's um, that same week, Sunday morning, I woke up at 4 a.m. and I was in horrendous pain. Um, I had to drive myself to the ER, my, of course, because it's 4 a.m. and we live like thousands of miles from family. Um, my husband had to stay home with my daughter. And so I was like having contractions on the way to the ER. And I got there and they, they basically treated me like they had no idea why I was coming in. I was like, well, you know, this is different. I know I was bleeding on Wednesday, but my OB gave me no indication that I should expect to go home and miscarry. Like everything was fine. The baby had a heartbeat and all this stuff. And so it wasn't, wasn't really the greatest <laughs> experience. Um, but so they had to call the ultrasound tech in. She came in and did the ultrasound and um, I knew it was bad. She was silent the whole time. And um she j I just knew when she left that it was bad. And then the doctor came in and he just kind of like coldly looked at me. He's like, the baby doesn't have a heartbeat and it's um, measuring smaller than it should. 
And, um, and so like I'm in tears and he's just like standing at the door waiting to, (laughs) waiting to leave, you know? Um, and I just asked him, I was like, like, what can I do for the pain? Because I felt like I was in labor. I had never had a contraction with my daughter, but I now know what they feel like because, um, it was terrible pain. Um, and he was like, uh, I can give you a few pills. So he had sent me home with, um, a total of six pain pills to go home and miscarry, um, my baby. Um, and then, so the next day I went in and they confirmed the miscarriage in the office. And, you know, because it was my first miscarriage, they gave me the whole, like, one in four, blah, blah, blah. I got that whole spiel, you know, though it's very unlikely that this will happen again. You'll um, probably have a normal pregnancy, keep trying. Um, And so I think at that point I was still very naive and I thought, okay, yeah, like this happens and we're just going to go try again and it'll be okay. Um, So in order to like, complete the miscarriage she she did give me um two rounds of cybotec and I did it and literally nothing happened there was no bleeding there was no cramping there is nothing and so I ended up having to have a, a DNC with that because it's like with all of my miscarriages it it's like it would start and then it just totally stopped it's like my body decided no I don't I don't think we're gonna go ahead and miscarry this baby um so we did go ahead and try again as soon as we could. Um, so after like one full cycle, uh, we got pregnant again right away, um, which is was so weird. Like after 18 months of nothing and then all of a sudden like we're pregnant back to back, you know. Um, so we got pregnant in January or. Yeah, I think it was like January of the next year um, of 2018 or 17. Um, so we confirmed it with some serial HCGs at the seven week ultrasound, everything looked, uh, well, there was a little scare. So when, like I said before, like when they go in and do a transvaginal ultrasound, they only see my left side. And so I (laughs) stupidly forgot to mention to the lady at the ultrasound tech, I was like, I thought she remembered that I had a bicornuate because I had told her multiple times before. And so I didn't say anything this time and she's looking and looking and I'm like kind of waiting and the doctor's in the room and she's like, Tara, things don't look the way that they're supposed to look. It it looks like you're trying to get ready for a pregnancy, but you should be farther along than that. Like, um, I don't see what I should see. And so like the tears start coming and then all of a sudden, um, I think my doctor was like, well, was there anything on the right side? And the ultrasound tech was like, wait, she has a bicornuate. <laughs> And she was there. And so they swipe over to the right side. And of course, they find the baby there. And so the baby has a heartbeat. And I just, you know, like I went from crying to laughing. I was like, I'm so sorry. I, I thought you remembered. I didn't want to be annoying and tell you again. And, and it hadn't even crossed my mind to have her check the other side. So. Anyways, so the baby was there and everything was good. And we were so excited. Um, And so then again, at eight weeks, it was a Sunday. I feel like everything happens for me on a Sunday. Um, Cause like, it can't be when I can call the doctor's office. I always have to go to the Uh (laughs) yard, always the weekend. So um, I was eight weeks again, I began bleeding. I went to the ER. 
Um, they did an ultrasound and everything was fine. <laughs> Baby had a strong heartbeat and, you know, they couldn't tell where I was bleeding from. And it was kind of the same song and dance, you know. Um, I went to the OB's office the next day to have a follow-up ultrasound and so they could look at things. And um, lo and behold, the so when they went in on the left side, she was like, wait a minute. Uh, did they tell you that there's a, there's a baby on the other side too. And I was like, no, they didn't tell me that. <laughs> what are you talking about? And, and so there, I was actually, um, the reason the left side had looked that way at my original ultrasound, like it was trying to prepare for a pregnancy is I was, I was pregnant on both sides. So, um, uh, baby A was very small. Like it was measuring like five weeks. Um, and that was the side I was trying to miscarry. My body was trying to miscarry it. Um, and then baby B was in the right horn and still had a heartbeat and was measuring perfect and everything. But, um, at that point, so even in that 24 or 24 hours or so, um, the baby's heart rate had dropped to like 60. Um, and so, they suspected that because I was, my body was trying to miscarry that other side, that it was just putting a lot of strain on the other baby. Um, and so um, I kind of, my doctor was out that day. I met with the nurse practitioner, but she was like, I'm, things don't look good. I'm going to put you on bed rest for the next three days. Um, I want you to go home and literally not get out of bed and um, then come back and see us. And we'll see if, you know, anything's changed. And um, we went back and, and baby B didn't have a heartbeat anymore. And so that was March 21st of 2018. Um, and it was, that was hard. I mean, cause it was hard enough. You know, I remember going home and just sitting in the shower and just like praying and um, just saying like, I want both of these babies. Like I, as, as shocking as it is to like find out that there's not just one, there's two. I was like, I want both of these babies, but if I can't have both, uh, please just let me keep one. Um, Cause it's just been such a long road. What a roller um, coaster too, to go from yeah. like, you know, hearing like there's something wrong to know, oh, the baby's over here to then hearing <laughs> that there's two to then hearing that one isn't, you know, growing yes. correctly to then hearing that you've lost both. Like, I know it was, it, that one was, it was just like shocking. The whole, the whole pregnancy was just shocking. And, um, you know, and just like having to tell our families and stuff, because I've been very honest with um, like our family and my close friends through it all, because, you know, of course, after my, my daughter just turned five in April. And so after five years, people are, are like, so when are you going to have more yeah. and stuff? You know, and, and I just had to tell them, I'm like, listen, we're struggling. And, um, not to make people feel bad, but just so they know, you know, yeah. that like those comments aren't appreciated, first of all. And, and second of all, like, so that they can be there for us, you know? Um, and so we had told people that, that we were pregnant and, you know, asked them to be praying for us because they know how much we want another baby. Um, but telling them, telling people that it's happened again, I think is the hardest part for me. Um, and so uh, we went back to the reproductive endocrinologist after that point, And I was just like, I was, 
upset. I was like, you know, I, I just need to figure out what's going on. First, we can't get pregnant. Now we get pregnant, but we can't stay pregnant. And what's going on with this? Um, so he did do another periscope and um, to he wanted to check uh, so I ended up having to have a DNC after the second miscarriage. Also, I, I chose to because after the roller coaster that that whole thing was, I was like, I, I have to be done. Like, I can't go home and wait to miscarry this. And um, so I did choose to have a DNC. So because I had had two DNCs in a fairly short time, he was like, we need to check everything out again. And we need to make sure that you don't have scarring and all of it, that. So um, he did it. Everything looked good. The tubes were open. He did find a little bit of scarring, but he's actually able to break it up um, while he was in there. So he didn't feel like that was, that was going to be a problem. Um, He did offer to do um, so targeted IUI. So um, basically because I had had two babies that were in my uh, right horn that I've miscarried now, and we don't really understand why, but I had already carried a full-term baby in my left side, he was like, I, I kind of asked him, I'm like, is there something wrong, wrong with my right side? And so by this point I had done, I had gotten on and done a lot of research for myself about malarian anomalies because like, so there's any, there's terrible statistics out there, but like anywhere from three to 15% of the population has a malarian anomaly. And it's, it's hard because you don't really know that you have one until like an issue comes up that, that they would find it. Right. And so, um, but because it's a fairly small part of the population that has it, they, there's not a lot of research related to it. And so, you know, I was kind of asking him, you know, are, is it possible that I just can't carry on my right side is, is there maybe something wrong with the tissue over there or something we just don't understand? He's like, it's possible there, there's no data to support that, you know, but in some of the support groups I had been on, um, I had found several women who had had that issue. Like they either had preterm deliveries uh, or miscarriages um, when they were carrying on a certain side, but they could always carry their babies to term on the other side. And so I thought, well, that may be the issue, you know? Um, so we talked about doing targeted IUI where he would, you know, it would be medication induced um, and we would scan to see um, when I had a dominant follicle on the left side and that's the month we would go ahead and try IUI. Um, and so we talked to him about that. And again, for, he, he was kind of like, it could be that, it could just be bad luck. Like we don't really know. And so we went home and um, I was, for again, for whatever reason, I was like, I don't know, I'm just not ready to do IUI. I'm not ready to go down that route. Um, And so we, because at that point I was like, now we can get pregnant. We just can't stay pregnant. And no one can tell me why I can't stay pregnant, you know? And I know I've carried a baby to term before. So I feel like this shouldn't, I shouldn't need help. And so we waited a few months and we started trying to conceive again. Um, We got pregnant in like July or August of 2018. And I immediately started progesterone again with that one. Um, We, I was seven at seven weeks my seven week ultrasound, everything looked good. Baby had a heartbeat, was measuring well. And then um, eight weeks, which was a Sunday again, <laughs> I began bleeding. Was the baby um, on I the ca- right or left side? The baby was on the right side again. Okay. Yeah. 
Um, so, you know, every time I would go in for my seven week ultrasound, I would be like, please be on the left, please be on the left. Yeah. <laughs> and it just never was, you know? Um, and so, yeah, so I started bleeding again at eight weeks. I went, um, went in, actually I called the OB's office cause I knew what was happening. I was like, at this point I wasn't naive anymore. I was like, I'm probably losing this pregnancy. Um, I called the OB's office and I was like, I just want to let you know, this is, I, I talked to on-call nurse, this is going on. I don't want to go to the ER. She's like, I really need you to go in because I did, they had found, I was having some pain earlier. And so when they did that uh, seven week scan, they saw that I had a fairly large cyst and she's like, it could be that cyst that ruptured, you know, it could just be that. And so, and if that is the case, we just need to make sure that everything else is okay. And so I reluctantly went to the ER. Um, this was probably my worst experience at the ER because like I ended up with a physician's assistant who he came in and he's like, so you've had four pregnancies and three miscarriages, right? And I was like, well, no, I, this is my fourth pregnancy, but I mean, I haven't miscarried yet. He's like, yeah, yeah, but we're just assuming that you are miscarrying. <laughs> I was like, well, thank you for that vote of confidence. That was very kind. Um, and I was kind of like, okay. He's like, well, you're, you're pretty early. I, I just even think we think we need to do an ultrasound. Um, I don't think we need to do an ultrasound. Uh, it's too early. We're not going to see anything. I was like, well, I've already had an ultrasound and it showed that the baby had a heartbeat. I mean, we had an ultrasound last week. He's like, really? Well, that that's, this is just too early. And so like, he left the room and I told my husband, I was like, you need to go down there and you need to tell him he's doing an ultrasound or I'm walking out of here. And my husband went down there and he's like, well, I couldn't find him. So like I went down to the nurse's station and I like shouted at the guy across the counter. This is not like my proudest moment, but I was so just fed up. I was like, I shouted at him across the counter. I was like, listen, the only reason I came to the ER is because my doctor's office wanted me to come in and get an ultrasound. So if you're not going to do one, just let me know because I'm going to go home. <laughs> and, and he came back in the room and he's like, he's like, well, why didn't you tell me that your doctor wanted an ultrasound? I was like, I feel like I shouldn't have had to tell you that. Like, because every time I've ever come to the ER with bleeding, I've had an ultrasound, you know, like, this is crazy. Um, and so he ended up doing the ultrasound and of course everything looked fine. And, um, he was like, we can't tell why you're bleeding. We don't know what's going on. Um, follow up with your OB. So I went to the OB's office. So I went home that night and I ended up having, um, a little bit of cramping, like I, enough that I like got in the bathtub and I, the OB's office called and checked on me and they were like, just take some Tylenol PM, the Benadryl. And the Tylenol will help just to like relax you and stuff. And so um, I think those contractions that I was, or those cramps that I was, I wouldn't call them contractions, those cramps that I was having was probably about the time that I, that things went downhill. Um, I went to the OB the next day and the baby didn't have a heartbeat. Um, and so now I was faced with, okay, this is my third miscarriage. Now I'm like one of the statistics, you know, um, I'm officially accepted as recurrent miscarriage law, you know, and, um, and like, I feel, I felt like, and maybe you felt like this too, I don't know, but like at, after the third miscarriage, like they just don't, the, my, my OB like didn't even say anything. Not that she, she felt sorry. Like she, she was 
she felt bad for me, you know, but it was like one of those, she didn't know what to say to me anymore. There was no more like reassuring things that she could say about, um, oh, this is very unlikely to happen again, because like, now we know it's, it's very likely to happen again, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and she's like, she, she of course said that we would do the blood work and stuff um, at my six week follow-up for um, the recurrent miscarriages and stuff. Um, and we, I kind of left there um, just totally fed up. So um, I did do, do you kind of feel like, so I remember kind of feeling like, gosh, he's probably, cause I have a guy doctor. Um, uh-huh. he, he probably wants me gone. Like he doesn't know I what know. to do with me anymore. You know what I yeah. mean? Like, this is probably yeah. a pain in the ass for him. Cause he's like, I don't know oh. what to do anymore. For I remember sure. feeling yeah. that way of like, I'm that patient that he's probably like, gosh, I wish you would just like find somebody. <laughs> I feel like everything <laughs> in my life has been like that, like medically. And so I was like, I'm the, I'm the patient, which is funny because I'm a nurse too. And so like, I understand those patients that you're like, I really wish you would just find a different provider, you know? Yeah. But like, I'm, I'm like, I am that patient because like nothing is normal for me. Like it's always oh, the yeah. most And it's got to be frustrating for them too. Oh like, yeah. I don't know how to help this girl. We're basically I know. right now. Yeah. I know. And she has all these questions for yeah, me and I can't gives, answer them. Probably gives them so much anxiety <laughs> when, they see a, when they see us on the schedule. Like, oh no. I know. <laughs> I think about that every time I call her office. I'm like, she's probably just like rolling her eyes. Like not again. Yeah. Not again. But, um, yeah, so I did, um, she did, I, I, so I was super nervous about having another DNC because you just like, you get scared about, you have the risk every time. Oh yeah. Yeah. I was like, I don't need to cause more problems, you know? And so I did two rounds of Cytotec again. My, uh, my friend had just had a miscarriage right before this and she did Cytotec and had the totally opposite experience. Like it was really hard on her you know and so I was like well maybe it just didn't work the first time I'm gonna try this again and it did nothing again I was like this is unbelievable like it doesn't (laughs) it doesn't do a thing for me um and so uh I went ahead and I did another DNC and so like after that miscarriage I was just I was furious I was I was heartbroken and I didn't want to talk to anyone like I was just so mad because I knew like in my heart I knew that there was a reason this was happening. Like you don't carry, and you do, like this does happen to people, but I felt like for me, I was like, you don't carry a baby to term on your first try and then like all of a sudden lose all your subsequent pregnancies for no reason. And so um, I I was just, I was totally fed up. So I went to my six week follow-up appointment and I like, this is the appointment where my OB was probably like, please find another doctor. <laughs> she, she was like, I'll do the full blood panel. And so I, at that point I had, I had gotten on the, you know, um, support groups and stuff. And, and I had asked around, I'm like, is it like this common to have recurrent miscarriages with, bi- uh, with a bicornuate uterus? And, and I had looked at research studies and, you know, the few that are available and everything I read was like, it's not your, your risk for recurrent miscarriages should not be increased because of a bicornuate uterus. You do have other risks. Like we had talked about, like the intrauterine growth restriction stuff, once you are pregnant, but you shouldn't be miscarrying just because you have a bicornuate uterus. I was like, so either, either 
it's not a bicornate uterus or there's something else going on, like something that we don't understand yet. And so, but to be sure, um, cause I, I, I was kind of like at the point, if I, this, this with the third miscarriage, it was like, I am not, I'm given this one more shot. And after that, I'm done. We had been through so much, all the DNCs. It was like an emotional roller coaster for my husband, for my daughter, you know, cause like, especially because I was having surgery and stuff, like I couldn't hide it from her. And not that I would, I think it's been good for her to know about what's going on, but it, I just felt like devastated that I was doing this to my family, you know? Um, and so I went into her office and she was going to do the blood work. And I was like, I want a pelvic MRI. And she was kind of like, I don't, I'm not really sure what value that's going to add to like, what, what I'm going to change based on the results of this. And, and I understood because it's like, I've had every test known to man already and MRIs are expensive. And, you know, so I understood kind of her resistance, but I was like, listen, I want a pelvic MRI. I want to rule out if it's just a uterine septum. I know we think it's a bicornuate. I know that everything to this point points to it being a bicornuate, but the, I had um, in the research that I read, like the gold standard for diagnosing any malarian anomaly is um, a pelvic MRI. And anecdotally I had talked to, or I had read several women who um, had been misdiagnosed um, like many, many women that had been misdiagnosed. And then when they had a pelvic MRI, all of a sudden they got the right diagnosis and they were able to be treated, you know? And so I was like, I, I want a pelvic MRI and that's, and she ordered it for me uh, reluctantly. Uh, and so I, my labs came back normal for the most part. There was like some question about the lupus antibody thing, but then when they tested it the second time, it was okay. So she didn't feel like um, there was anything to really, do anything about there. Um, I did get the pelvic MRI and, um, she called me afterwards and she's like, Tara, I, I don't want to get your hopes up, but I don't see anything about a bicornuate uterus on this report. And she's like, there is a septum. It's, it's 1.7 centimeters. And that, if that's the case, it has to come out. Like we have to resect it because anything over one centimeter, they take out, or they resect. And so I was like, okay. Um, and she's like, but I need to follow up with the radiologist because I, I just need to make sure that he understands like that he's familiar with reading this type of, you know, scan and stuff. And so in the course of her doing that, I called my RE cause I knew that he was already familiar with malarian anomalies and stuff. And, um, I asked to come into his office and I, um, actually brought so I downloaded a program that could so I got a copy of the disc that had my MRI images I downloaded a copy or I like went on YouTube downloaded a program so I could look at the MRI images myself and I was like looking at them and looking at pictures on online uh, <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> you are the epitome of like advocating for yourself <laughs> And so I'm like looking at this, these pictures and I was like, I think my, I brought my husband and he's like, by this point, he's like, he knows I'm crazy, right? Like we've been married almost 10 years, but he's like, what are you showing me? And I showed him, I'm like, see how this looks like this. I was like, it's a septum. It's not a bicornuate. It doesn't have the contour on the top. And so, and so he's like, okay. 
and he, he's kind of like, you're Dr. Google, please stop. <laughs> Let's go see an actual professional. And so we went into Ari's office and they had told me they're like, he's going to have to take the disc home to look at the images um, because we don't have the stuff here. I was like, let me just solve that for you. I brought my like, computer with I me. have it. <laughs> <laughs> I did. I did. And, and so I was, I, was, I was actually embarrassed by that. But I was like, I went and I was like, listen, I just, I needed to be able to sit here and you show me you, myself, like what you're looking at. And so I brought the images and he was actually so excited. My RE is like kind of a nerd. And so... <laughs> Which is good when you're like, he's like, what in that business? Is what program? Oh, no. is <laughs> yeah, he's like, and so the second he looked at the image, he was like, that is absolutely a septum. He's like, that's a that's a septate uterus. That is not a bicornuate. We need to take that out. And so, um, so being the advocate for myself that I am, I was like, okay, I felt good about it. Um, we scheduled it for January and then like we went home for the holidays. And so in December, we're at my, my in-laws house up in Wyoming. And I told my husband, like being on the um, support groups, there was, there's one physician down in Florida that is um, like, this is what he does with malarian anomalies. Like he, he um, is an expert in them. And so I was like, I need, I'm going to, and I knew that he did phone consultations. So um, I told my husband, I was like, I need to just do a phone consultation with him. I'm, I'm going to send him my records. I want to make sure, like, I think we're on the right track, but I want to make sure. I want to hear from the expert on this, like, and if he tells me something different, we're going to Florida. Like, I'm not going to go have more stuff done. And so um, I talked to him in December of 2018. He was so nice. Like, he called me back the same day. Um just wonderful, wonderful people. And uh, he was like, yes, that's, if, if it's a septum, um, it needs to, he had reviewed my images and stuff. He's like, that's a septum. It needs to come out. Um, and like your risk is significantly less. So with a septate uterus, you have an 80 to 90% um, risk of miscarriage because essentially what happens is the, for whatever reason, the embryos like to implant on the septum. And so most of the time the septum is avascular or it's like fibrous tissue. And so in those women, like they may have problems um, where it's all vascular or um, all fibrous. They may never even get to the point where they know that they're pregnant because like as soon as it tries to attach, it doesn't have blood supply in it. They just lose it. Right. Um, mine was kind of like a mix. So it did have some vascularity and this is me like, kind of making this up, but no one can prove that I'm wrong. So I'm going to go with it. But um, for some women, like you, they have enough blood supply to support a, a pregnancy until a certain point. So I'm convinced that mine was until eight weeks, because that's always when I lost my babies. Um, or when I started bleeding with my daughter. Um, but so the thought is that they're trying to implant on that septum. And, um, and so when I was talking to the doctor in Florida, he was actually like, you know, the problem too is even if you do carry pregnancy um, and you, the risk of preterm labor or having a baby that has significant, um, you know, health issues for the rest of their life because they didn't have adequate blood supply. He's like, 
you know, there, there are so many risks. And so it made me so, so thankful for my daughter. Um, the fact that we had such a healthy baby, you know, when we, I carried her to 39 weeks and stuff. Um, but you know, he, it, it really reassured me when I talked to him that this was absolutely the, the route we needed to go. So in January, 2019, I had the septum resection done. Um, they, he did do, so of course, again, like this is like the, I don't even know, fifth procedure I'd had on my uterus and they were cutting and stuff. So risk of adhesions and all of that stuff. So he did a balloon catheter afterwards um, for three days and then a month of estrogen therapy also to prevent scarring, which is controversial. Like there, there's no evidence supporting that doing nothing versus any of them. But I was like, he, I liked his analogy. He's like, I like to wear a belt yeah. and, and, um, suspenders, you know, just to make sure I keep my pants up. And he's like, so, um, you know, that's what we're going to do here is we're going to just do everything that we can to try and prevent scarring. Um, and so then I had to wait another, uh, had to wait the estrogen cycle and then another full cycle before we could start trying to conceive. And so we were able to start trying just last month in April and nothing, we didn't, we had a negative pregnancy test. And then um, actually, I just found out last week that we are pregnant again. So oh my goodness. Yay! thank you. <laughs> so I'm like five weeks today and um, super scared, but also super hopeful that maybe this is this yes, is sir. the time. Yeah. 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 Oh, that's so but. exciting. You you got to keep me in the loop. I I will. I want to be updated and know know what's going on. (laughs) I will. Yeah. So we're so excited. Good. Oh my gosh. I'm so hopeful for you. I thank you. Yeah. I feel like I got a whole lot of education on this episode, (laughs) to be honest. I'm like, I'm going to like go be an OBGYN now. And like, I know, right? (laughs) I know. What's so funny is when I was in nursing school, I was like, I, the OB was like the last thing that I didn't want to do labor and delivery. I didn't want to do any of that. And like, I've been forced into learning. Yeah. Yeah. And like, honestly, like going through it, don't you kind of feel like you could just help so many people like going there? I literally like looked into medical school (laughs) a couple months ago and then I was like, oh. That's really expensive, and that's the really yeah. long time. I don't think I can. Do. I, I guess I'll stick with my podcasts. <laughs> I know, but there's so much value that's added because, like, as much as and and that's what I was thinking about. I'm mean, like, people are going to be like, this girl doesn't know what she's talking about. But I mean, like, had I not advocated for myself and like gone out and you would have never literally, figured this out. No, no, yeah. you would have never figured it out. And I was literally like looking through medical journals, finding articles, like, and you are the <laughs> only, read. you're like, you're the only you doctors have so many patients that they can't take sure. that same amount of time that like you can take on yourself too. Exactly. So, I tell my patients that all the time. I'm like, you know your body. You know when something's not right. And you have to advocate for yourself because they have a very short amount of time where they can spend with you and they don't know you like you do. So, yeah. yeah. And they, yeah. Can't feel, they can't feel what you're feeling. So just – Exactly. Yeah. And it's hard. It's hard to advocate for yourself because you feel like – So hard. Ass. You know what I mean? You like, do. You very much. Very much. I'm like, they, they are – I mean, I have had those patients where I'm like, you're not listening to a word that I'm saying to you. Like you just, 
like you don't have cancer, you know what I mean? Like (laughs) there's no possible way. But I, I also, I'm like, and I think that that's where it's like taking, not just like finding what you can on Google, but like when I would take, I would literally take research studies into his office and I'd be like, but this found this and this and this. And he's like, as much of a pain as that is, like you can't argue with like facts, you know what I mean? And so I think in some ways they do respect the fact that like you're trying to be well-informed about what's going on, you know? Um, And I, uh, I remember listening to the uh, episode that you had Dr. Shaheen on with you. And I, I appreciated that episode so much because like, that's it. I think she said something about like, if, if, you know, your doctor's not listening to you basically run for the hills. And that's absolutely the truth. Like if, if your doctor is, worried about you coming in and asking questions like you're not with the right provider and um and so like that's why at 34 weeks pregnant like I decided to switch (laughs) switch providers because you know (laughs) my doctor would call me and he'd be like okay hit me with it what have you googled I'm like all right I have a list for you um this this just so we can like knock it all out right then and there I love it yeah (laughs) my last appointment with my RE I told him I was like listen I know you probably think I'm a little bit crazy but they have these malaria anomaly support groups and that's where I've gotten most of the information like that's what guided me to thinking that I should get the pelvic MRI I was like and and if you have patients in the future that have this, like maybe just tell them about it because like it can be super helpful. And yeah. if nothing else, just providing them support so they don't feel so alone, you know? And he's like, I would love to have that link. Will you email that to me? Yeah. I'm like, he's probably going to shut that place down. <laughs> Stop giving out information. <laughs> oh my gosh. That's so funny. <laughs> well, girl, I just want to thank you so much for jumping thank on you. here. Thank you. Yes. providing all the knowledge that you've learned yes. too because it's gonna your story along with that knowledge is gonna help so many people so if somebody Thank does want to reach out to you is instagram the best way to do so yeah instagram okay. or facebook so it's just okay. um i think it's like at tfollum 88 is my yep. instagram perfect and i'll go ahead and i'll link that in the description and okay. keep keep me posted and congratulations <laughs> thank you so much i appreciate it thanks for having me on absolutely Thank you so much for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, make sure you share it with a friend who could find it useful or share it on your Instagram stories. Tag myself, tag my guest so that we can personally thank you. This is a lamb fam, you guys. We're not in this alone. We're creating this ripple effect together. 